Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hangtime Podcast. Joining us now, comedian Chelsea Peretti, NBA All-Star Roy Hibbert. Roy is our nation's most treasured actor. He's got chops, he's got talent, and he also has three tickets to Lakers. <laughs> With your host, Galliot Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith, Lang Whitaker, and Rick Fox. Our next guest should have been our first guest, Isaiah Thomas. How do you think you would play in today's NBA with the rules the way they are? Be honest. Uh, average <laughs> We will win a lot. <laughs> and it's, it's our main man, Roderick Turner from the Los Angeles Times. Hey, too, can I say this first? <laughs> you know you when can. When I was covering the Lakers, when Rick Fox played, I had hair. They wore me out. Now it's time for the tip-off. 20 points, 15 assists, 4 steals. Chris Paul is the most valuable player other than Rookie of the Year, this is like the only individual award I think I've ever won. NBA All-Star 2013, we out. Nice. Me and Chris Paul, baby, brought home MVP trophies from All-Star Weekend in Houston. Wait, 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 wait. Chris wait, Paul wait. got his on uh, Sunday night. I got mine Sunday morning at the uh, open run for my friends. At Hunt. What's up, Lane? You, you got a trophy for that Sunday morning? <laughs> well, you know, I was going to embellish until you blew my story. Rick wasn't there, so he wouldn't have known I was lying. I know. Well, I, well, I was. Uh, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I. I, I um, obviously, y'all didn't need me. <laughs> I don't feel as bad for not being there. Man, how's everybody doing? Obviously, the fellas are back here on the Hangtime Blog and the Hangtime Podcast from All Star Weekend. Thank you, Smith, here in Atlanta. Lang Whitaker, New York. Rick Fox in Cali. Rick Fox stuck in. Stuck in a blizzard on the one on on fifteen heading to Vegas. What? Two hour standstill. <laughs> Come on. Blizzard blew through. No kidding. Finally, finally broke through after two hours. Left at six o'clock this morning. It is now ten fourteen. And I still got two hours to get to Vegas. That's a good thing uh, you drive. Another spot. Yeah, good thing you ride in that stretch Hummer limo with the swimming pool in it. <laughs> I'm gonna pick that up when I get to Vegas. Hey, you left Kevin. You left Kevin Hart off the off the uh, MVP list. She obviously. That's true. Yeah, I'm I mean, quite proud of his back-to-back uh, MVP trophies. Yeah, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna disparage Kevin Hart. I saw the way he went off on uh, Kenny and, and Charles. I don't need him going Ooh. off on us. So <laughs> it became it got, it got real personal real quick. Got ugly, Kenny, didn't it? Kenny went and, he went and Shaq and Chris Webber said y'all y'all threw me under the bus. Didn't stay. Didn't support me. He was like, I know who I can ride with. It got personal, man. It got a little nasty, wow. man. I, I I love All Star Weekend, Lang. We got a chance, to, you know, I got a chance to see Rick Friday, you know, in there at the Media Veil. Everybody, I mean, it's, it's when you get to see everybody in one spot, players, you know, your friends in the media, obviously, and all that good stuff. But what's the big takeaway for y'all out of All-Star Weekend? Was this CP getting the MVP? Was it, you know, uh, Kobe going after LeBron? I mean, what was the what was I your had, All-Star moment? My, I had I, a few, I, I mean, but I'm I had curious. Two, well, two things stuck out to me. One was – that Kobe LeBron thing you mentioned, just yeah. because there was a lot of talk all weekend about 
it was funny. I think somebody tweeted this for a guy who's 50 years old, not playing Michael Jordan was still kind of the story of the weekend, <laughs> but uh, you know, his, his quotes about Kobe and, and LeBron sort of blew up a little bit. And I thought that it was interesting. Kobe kind of seemed to coast through most of that all-star game. And then yeah. about six minutes ago, he started picking up LeBron full court, blocked him twice down the stretch. Uh, just kind of, it seemed to me like he was saying, Hey, remember I'm still here guys. Yeah. Um, I thought the other thing was Kyrie Irving to me. Uh, Cavs don't play. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was sort of obvious after the way, you know, he broke Brandon Knight's ankles on Friday and won the, won the three point contest on Saturday. And then Sunday he was in there down the stretch of those game of the game. Right. Um, you know, he, he people don't see the Cavs a lot on national TV, and uh, that was a chance for a lot of people. People didn't see him a lot in college either because he was injured. So, right, I thought it was a, a really his kind of coming out party. Well, great minds think alike, and since you mentioned this Kyrie, which I, I thought was his, you know, him stepping onto the stage in the second year on the on, on in the big game, and, right? Uh, actually, stealing that three point shootout contest. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure he he was considered to be one of the threats, but you know, he, some of the other guys, I thought he would have been fifth on the list. Some of the names that were in that competition, right? Uh, and then uh, on the side note, I guess uh, off the court, being a part of Sir Charles' uh, 50th birthday celebration, three days in a row, it seemed like every time I turned around, there was a cake and a celebration. <laughs> Charles, every every day I walked in the green room for TNT. There was another cake. Uh, we had an after party at TSD uh, party, and there was a cake there, and a big party. And, uh, but it was it was it was cool being in the green room and interacting with uh, you know all of the legends of basketball that came in and uh, in and out of the of the room there at times. Uh, and then actually being at the commissioner's uh, cocktail event before the the All Star game on Sunday and hearing him give basically his last speech to to people there and so you know i got a, i got a lot of access uh that i enjoyed being a part of it this weekend and, mm-hmm. uh that was that was probably my highlight just interacting and watching celebrities of the game and celebrities in general right. co-mingle and, and interact uh courtside as well as behind the scenes yeah i always tell people that all-stars is for someone who works like all of us do, like in or around the NBA, All Star is the closest thing there is to like a convention. Yes, you know, yeah, it's like it's like an industry convention in a way because everyone's in one place and and the games. It's not like the finals where it actually matters. You know, it's just <laughs> the games are just kind of there, and so there's time for everyone to hang out and talk and see people you don't see and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Shaq, Shaq did go at me and tell me, ask me what I was doing, She's calling out the white. He goes, "That's for me. I got the big man. You got the small man. You can call out small guys. I, I get to call out the big guys." Did so, you? I, let me. I did you get a chance I said, I'm to? Sorry, uh, I stepped on your show. I told him I was sorry. I stepped on his on his toes there. Right. Sorry. I mean, did you get a chance to to actually? I heard they did get in front of Dwight at all and talk with Dwight. I did. I, I mean, did. how'd and that go? He was quite under wraps most of the weekend, except for the All Star game. Right. Uh, but I caught him. I caught him on the tail end, right as he was walking off the court. I went over and I, I just let him know. I said, I told him, I, I know you probably heard. I, I, had, I had strong words about you and your play, mm-hmm. and uh, I just want you to know that I don't regret what I said, but I do regret that I 
you know, I wasn't able to get to you before I shared it so passionately, but I am an I am an NBA analyst, and right. I'm paid to, you know, speak my mind on what I see. And uh, I said I'd like to, you know, and I told him I said, look, I, and I want you to know I, what I said. I said because I care. You might not maybe believe that or or, or realize or or want to believe that, but I said if you get we get back to LA, you want to sit down and talk. I'd love to talk to you in person. And he was like, yeah, let's do that. He was like, let's let's get back together when we get to LA. So he was, you know, he, you know, man to man, eye to eye, he he definitely was present and took it in, and and I, you know, he could have gone a number of different ways. He could have said, "Get out of my way." Right. He could have said, "You know, who are you? I, I don't. Uh, who who are you?" Um, <laughs> he did that. So, already. He pulled that one already. He did didn't? that already. So he had to yeah, use that one up already. Uh, but you know, he he just more or less was like, yeah, he was open to it, and so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I hope we had that that lunch. Or let's sit down before you get that statue put up next week, I guess, in front of Staples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this is pretty classic here. Uh, Mitch Kupchak on uh, ESPN Radio with Colin Cowherd. Um, pretty passionate in his uh, defense of Dwight Howard, I guess you call it, and, and talking about wanting to build a statue, you know, Dwight deserving a statue in L.A. in front of Staples, um, you know, and how rare his talent is. Seems a little over the top for a team that, that has no security in the Dwight sweepstakes if they kick off again in June when he's a free agent. Lang, you, I mean, you scratching your head with, with those kind of words coming from Mitch Kupchak? I think it's we're not used to hearing the Lakers uh, pander to, to players, <laughs> um, unless it's uh, a Kobe or a Shaq or a Rick Fox. Right. I think, right. um, <laughs> I think no, honestly, it's, it just seems a little – it seems like I mean I, I I guess there's some politicking going on here some um, some politics as they say but <laughs> I I don't I'm surprised to hear him doing that uh, I you know maybe they think this is a way to get Dwight to motivate him to play better I don't I don't know it seems a little odd I, I yeah for me for me I I understand the leverage is at a minimal in two, in 48 hours for the Lakers uh, in regards to what's only left is that they can pay him the most money right. than anyone can, which is, a, which, which, is a, which is good leverage. And their willingness to do that, obviously, has been already expressed by the sentiment of him deserving to have his name on the wall and, and, and a statue at Staples when he hasn't even done anything yet, quite frankly, in a Lakers uniform. Tells me already that there, you know, there's a desperation and a concern that he could walk away from the Laker organization. But my, my, my wonder is, is that, is that announcement and proclamation of where the organization stands in regards to Dwight more about more for Kobe's ears? Mm, yeah. Because I recall years ago when Dwight, when Shaq was, you know, making a statement about wanting to be paid a hundred million dollars and wanted his extension. And, and it was after all-star break that, Dr. Jerry Buss, rest is you know, rest in peace, Dr. Buss. You know, uh, he he came out and put his staked his uh, his claim uh, that Kobe was going to be a Laker for life, and that Shaq had a contract, and if he wanted to take it, he could take it. And sometimes Phil Jackson wants to be a Laker, sometimes he doesn't. And, and it was very clear to us at that point where the Laker organization, the direction of the team was going, and that was with Kobe, right. and. Those strong words right there from Mitch tell me that, yeah, Kobe has a window of this year and next on the contract, but this team is going in the direction of Dwight Howard in the future. 
Yeah. And uh, what Kobe Bryant decides to do after two years is up to Kobe Bryant. But we're a Dwight Howard team. Yeah. And so, and so just hearing that is concerning to me because it just, you know, it just tells us that it puts it all back on Dwight to decide whether or not he wants to change his game to become a champion or change his attitude and his approach in becoming a champion because I, I don't think well, – the, the game he plays now, the results we get from him now, irregardless, in my world, I had to, I had to put it out there for my guy on Twitter, <laughs> irregardless <laughs> or, or regardless of, right. of uh, what Dwight thinks is the right way to approach the game. It's, it's not generated championships yet. Right. right. So I just think things have to change, even if he isn't a Laker. Uniform, yeah. he's got to change his approach. You mentioned uh, Rick, Dr. Jerry Buss passing away uh, earlier this week um, at 80 years old. Tough, tough blow for not only Laker fans and people in Los Angeles, but the NBA family as a whole. Um, and you know, you hear people talk about it, and and I think we we're gonna listen a little bit here to Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, two of the newer guys to the Lakers organization. Speak uh, a little bit about Dr. Jerry Buss and, and what he meant. You know, he's a legend, and to get a chance to just talk to him uh, in person, you know, really with very little on the table, just a conversation, you know, was was a was a real highlight for me, and uh, very sad that he's gone. But uh, when you look at what he's accomplished and the life he led, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Might be the best owner ever in any sport. Definitely one of the tops. Uh, one of the main reasons that Los Angeles had all this success that he was like a magnet to players to get deals done and to be able to have uh, the best franchise out there. And this is, went on for 30 years, so it definitely wasn't a fluke. And like I said, there you hear Steve Nash and, and Mike D'Antoni talking about him. Rick, how does, how does this factor into what's going on with the, the future of that organization? And, and can you reflect a little bit on just your interactions and understanding of, you know, with and of Dr. Jerry Buss and what he meant to the fabric of not only that organization, but that city? Well, you know, from, from the, the passing of Dr. Buss the last couple of days, there's been an outpouring of individual stories and, and almost a history lesson on, what he has meant to the game of basketball and, and the NBA in general beyond the Laker organization. I, you know, I think we as, as Laker former players and, and fans in L.A. appreciate his commitment to the excellence and champion pers- championship pursuit year in and year out and his willing, willingness to put the pieces in place, whether it's in management and coaching, uh, all the way down to acquiring the best players that, would give us the best shot and talent to compete for championships. He was always, uh, you know, that was always in the forefront of his mind. And then letting the people do the jobs that they were capable of doing. He had a love for the game. He had a love for, you know, talent, both on and off the court, and uh, an appreciation for it and an eye for it. And so as I hear the stories about how the game and the entertainment around the game was shaped by his vision for where the game could go mm-hmm. uh, is, 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 you know, we're all should be grateful because the game has grown around a lot of the ideas that he's, 
you know, he, he forced through. It wasn't always received by, by his peers, but he brought to the Laker organization, and then everyone else adapted their, their organizations to that. Right. And so, you know, as a championship owner, 10, 10 championships, uh, you know, I don't know if there's been a more successful owner in professional sports. And uh, I know there's been successful organizations, but just what he's done uh, really, I think, transcends just basketball. And, and you know, and, and it's, it's synonymous to, to his personality with L.A. You know, he's just, they go hand in hand, Hollywood and his, his, uh, his star uh, as an owner, was just as bright as other stars in, in their profession. So I'm just glad to have been uh, to have sat on his couch in his house mm-hmm. years ago in '97 and have him, you know, hear from Jerry West and Mitch Kupchak that I was a key piece to the next phase of championship basketball, and and hearing that his willingness to say, "Look, if they want you, I want you, and whatever it takes, we're going to have you be a part of this." and he kept his word. I came from very little money, and two years later, we hadn't won a championship yet. But yet, he his commitment to me here long term was uh, was you know was out already years in advance, and and yet he still kept his word about me being a part of the organization going forward. And uh, we won championships together. So you know, I I I'm grateful to to had the latter years of my career of being a championship setting but also to be with the Laker organization because it it starts with him. It started with him. Yeah. Lang, you living in New York, I know that you have uh, seen and, you know, been around an organization like the Yankees that's kind of in the same position as the Lakers in terms of where their stature in the sport. Um is there anything you could compare Jerry Buss to in his life and times with the Lakers? You think in terms of maybe George Steinbrenner? I mean, does, is that the same thing, or do you think Buss Buss's career, you know, overshadows even even something like that? I think you know what's interesting is I didn't. Um, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. It's like I didn't really realize that the Lakers. The Laker fans, you know, think of themselves like the Yankees in a way. Yeah. That that's their organization. And as a basketball fan, I didn't really realize that until about maybe ten years ago, maybe twelve years ago. That that this is, you know, they they consider themselves the and I, and they are. They that, that is what the Lakers <laughs> with all these titles and all this stuff. Right. Um, but I, I don't. It's strange. I don't know if I would compare him to George Steinbrenner, Doctor Buss to George Steinbrenner, only because. When you think of Steinbrenner, you think of this mercurial guy who was firing people and, you know, on a whim, getting rid of people left and right, and Billy Martin getting hired and fired eight times or whatever it is. And and with Jerry Buss, you just think of a guy who, who I, I don't remember really hearing from him that much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We 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 more so heard from from Jerry West or Mitch Kupchak or the people he put in position to do the basketball jobs. Um, more than we ever heard him um, having these kind of relationships with people. I, I always thought of it as, you know, as a fan of a team, you want your owner to be committed to winning championships and you want him to do whatever it takes to win titles. Um, you, you know, it, when teams rebuild or go through all these things as a fan, that's, that's just, it's not fun and it's not interesting. And Jerry Buss, for the most part, had the Lakers competing at that level 
the whole time he was running the team, right. the whole time he owned the team. And you don't see that very often in sports, uh, in any sport, much less the NBA. Right. What, what was your, uh, did you ever have any interactions with, with him or anyone, Sekou, or, or what was your feeling on all this? Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've never had any, rea- any personal interactions with him, but I got a funny story. Um, and I and I have talked to Jeannie Bus before. Um, uh-huh. We had her um, we had her on, on the here. podcast actually yeah. once, so I, we did That's get right. a chance to talk with her, which was really cool. But it was Rick. I don't know if you remember this 2004 Western Conference Finals. Um, yeah, I was. Yeah, Lakers yeah. Timberwolves. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I'm in the airport in Minneapolis, catching my flight. I, uh, one of the best advanced scouts in the business, Jimmy Powell, uh, who works for the Pacers. He and I. We were we were the advance team. He was the advance scout. I was the advance writer who had to go do the other conference finals in anticipation of the Pacers making it to the NBA finals that year. So I did the, the Lakers Timberwolves series. We're at the Minneapolis airport catching a six AM why would we why we'd be flying that early to LA from Minneapolis is beyond me. Um but we were catching a six AM flight from Minneapolis and who is there at the gate with us? You know, none other than Jerry Buss and a couple of young friends of his. Um, <laughs> a couple of beautiful, beautiful, I said beautiful, young friends of his. <laughs> and uh, they were sitting, you know, in first class, Jimmy Powell and I grinding it like the, the road warriors that we were. We only got a chance to see them and pass them, you know, as we walked past them to get on the plane. You know, <laughs> and walk past them on our way to baggage claim. But it was all the all the stories you hear about Jerry Buss, you know, and his his lifestyle and just the the swag he had and how you know he he, he just. I mean, I I don't know any other word for it. And I know they didn't Hollywood. call it. I know they didn't call it swag back in his day, but you know, what I'm right. saying they should have because uh, he 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 had it all working on that flight, and uh, it was pretty funny just. One of those career highlights where you see somebody, and you don't get starstruck, obviously, because you've seen him at games before and stuff like that. But it was interesting catching him on that early flight. He, he looked like he'd been out the night before having a pretty good time. And, you know, as as all multimillionaire, billionaire guys will when they uh, have that kind of company with him. It was just good to see him on that flight and, and see him feeling good. So I, it's – I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a strange deal because we've lost – you know, you lose p- icons of the game like that, and the NBA has lost some owners here recently the past few years. You know, Bill Davidson um, in Detroit, you know, Dr. Buss, Abe Poland. I mean, there's some of the, the the titans of the ownership realm of the NBA the past, you know, four or five decades have now, you know, passed on. So it's kind of it's interesting to see who's going to step up and fill the void to be that next wave of, of iconic owners in the NBA uh, with these, with these legends literally passing. Rick, a question for you as, as a Laker uh, family member with, with Dr. Buss now gone, um, what happens to the Laker franchise? Well, they've, uh, he, he had a succession plan that they discussed uh, publicly here that you know, his wishes are to keep the team within the family. Right. And uh, Jeannie's going to operate the business side of it, so she'll represent the team at the Board of Governors to making the votes, and Jim will deal with uh, the operations and the basketball side of things. 
Uh, and as a brother sister uh, duo, they've uh, you know the discussions have been can they work together and whether or not they're on the same page and they see eye to eye. But look, I think they will respect their father's wishes, and I think at the end of the day, uh, I don't think they're going to tear this team down in any way from the inside. Uh, they're they're going to want the to continue the legacy of, of greatness here in L.A. with the Lakers. And I think uh, the transition has been in, in the process for the last couple of years. And uh, it, it's good to know that they, he started the process at a stage in his life where he was still around to be of assistance, I'm sure, to them uh, as they started to spread their wings. And now they'll fully be on their own. Uh, maybe it'll be a transitional period here still of a few years before they really, really cement themselves uh, in right. a balanced in a balanced place of working together as a, as a couple. Right. Rick, do you, in the last thing here, I mean, we, we don't want to, we don't want to drown out uh, everything with, with sad news, of course, but I think we have to speak about, you know, the situation there with Jerry, Dr. Jerry Buss's passing in the Lakers. Rick, do you feel like this is a, a, a kind of a crossroads for the organization in terms of having to figure out if they're going to continue with one vision and, and really what the foundation that Dr. Buss laid for everybody, or is this going to be one of those times where there's a radical shift in how the Lakers operate, do business, and, and maybe uh, alter their culture the next few years without him? I think re- regardless of what transpires in the, in the remainder of the season and, say, next year and into Kobe Bryant's retirement uh, as a Laker and, you know, the shifting of the guard, it seems to all, un- you know, un- to be unfortunately happening, you know, in front of our eyes here uh, without uh, the wind-down being championship-level basketball. The unfortunate passing of Dr. Buss, I think, will turn up the heat uh, and the scrutiny on on the gym bus definitely because now before it was still perceived uh, or and probably rightfully so Dr. Bus was still in those decisions and in those conversations of a direction and the hiring of D'Antoni and the hiring uh, and the trades but now it's all gonna fall to to Jim and the choices he makes are gonna be choices he's gonna have to explain and and accept praise and criticism and uh, as the direction of the Lakers go and, and and unfortunately for him he's not he's not getting he's not getting it at the time when this on paper team that looks like it should be on its way to two three championships uh, is, is faced with the different the complete opposite scenario yeah. you know where you're discussing are you trading and breaking up a team how are you moving forward to, Who's going? You know, is the coach there? He has every possible question yeah. that, that like, the general manager and owner could be dealing with from a from an off season standpoint. Earlier on, here in the middle of the season, uh, and not just with one player, it's with players, it's with the it's with the um, direction of the team, it's with the coach. I mean, it's all on his shoulders. And so, right now, they're saying they're going to stand pat. They're going to stand pat with you know the youngest superstar that they have in terms of Dwight. They're going to stand pat with Kobe as he heads into his latter years, and they're going to stand pat with the coach. 
Right. Uh, and uh, and Steve Nash. So I mean, I, it's almost like it's so rocky. The the waters are so rough. It's best to just be as calm as you can on the ship and hope it passes. Passes, and there's just maybe brighter brighter results uh, beginning next year. All right, guys. Uh, changing uh, course here a little bit for the other most pressing topic this week and of the day and for the next however many hours, NBA trade deadline. Um, they don't give us any time to rest, do they? <laughs> I was going to say you go from All-Star weekend yep. right into trade deadline, c- countdown crazy clock, you know. and uh, That's awful quick this year, though. It's usually a little more space between. No, no, it was like this, this, no, I think no. it was like this last year too. You know, yeah, was, was it? Okay. yeah, we came right off, right out of All Star, and it was like bam, bam, bam. You know, right up to the trade deadline that next thirty. I mean, we all know that Josh Smith's name has been tossed around. Lang, you, even you know, even more so than myself, and I covered Josh's, you know, his first what five years in the league. Um, I, I, do you almost feel like they have to do something just to release everybody from this? grind of talking about trading Josh every year in a way it would be perfect in a way it would be perfect if they didn't trade him because this is what happens every year <laughs> every year this happens he gets talked about even if it's not at the deadline there's at some point where they're like well you know this is it they, they've had enough they, this relationship has run its course and then he doesn't get traded and so in a way it would kind of be perfect if he ends up being the most talked about guy and doesn't get traded but I do think this is the time it finally happens. I think something's going to, you know, something's got to give. And we've reached that point where something's going to give. I just don't know to where um, and to whom. But I, I, I think if, if it doesn't happen now, at, at when it's free agency time, I, I think the Hawks have made it pretty clear without actually saying it that, uh, that's, that they don't think the future with Josh is is long term. Don't you think so? Or am I reading no, I, too I much agree. into that? I agree. Yeah. I mean, they made that clear to everybody, including Josh. You made a good you made a good point, uh, Lang, about twenty fifteen class. You yeah, know, I was the looking, options that are out there coming down the pipe. I was looking up twenty fifteen free agents. Um and and there's a ton in the summer twenty fifteen. <laughs> Uh, some of them are qualifying offers and some of them aren't. Um, some of them will be restricted, but I mean, point guards, Rajon Rondo, Kyrie Irving, Ricky Rubio, Tony Parker, um, shooting guards, Dwayne Wade, Eric Gordon, Clay Thompson, Evan Turner, Lou Williams, small forwards, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Rudy Gay, Michael Cade Gilchrist, Kawhi Good Leonard, Lord. Harrison Barnes, um, power forwards, Kevin Love, LaMarcus Aldridge, Tim Duncan, Chris Bosh, Amari <laughs> Stoudemire, Zach Randolph. There are a lot uh, of guys, yeah, a lot of guys that you probably would give Max Dollars to before Josh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, so you I, can I, understand maybe why they're sitting there saying, why well, tie up our money today? I don't know if he's going to get max a max contract. Do you agree with that, Seku? Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know that he is, but I don't huh? know that he shouldn't be asking for, I mean, it's or that he shouldn't expect to get paid. I mean, when Roy Hibbert, Eric Gordon, and some of these other guys that have gotten big money deals, Right. The past year's got him. I don't. I don't have a problem with a guy trying to get as much as the market will bear. I don't either. And but... and I'm not. You know. And and there's this idea. I lo- there's this to me, Rick. There's in line. There's been this idea in recent years that fans want to. You know, think that teams should be fiscally responsible when it yeah. comes to handout salaries. Since when? I mean, 
as a fan, I only care if my team wins. It's up to somebody else to watch the books. You know what I mean? Like, well, what happens when the what happens when the books cost your ticket prices to go up? Well, then you care, don't you? The books, the, the the books won't don't ever not cost your ticket prices to go up. You know, you think ticket prices hadn't gone up in places where they're spending the bare minimum? You know what I'm okay, saying? But let, me, but let me ask you this: one doesn't correlate with the other. You know, uh, it does. It does if you're losing. You're, you're telling me you're going to fork out the same money you forked out, or more than you forked out the year before, if there's no future in the next three years. Well, no, you're what, looking and you're saying, okay, well, this team is – well, I'm not going to go watch a losing team. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm telling you is the the losing this season or next season doesn't change my ticket price. And and that's and I'm talking about for the average fan who's shelling out money for tickets. Right. Because we won last year or we went to the playoffs last year, now ticket price go up. Ticket price go up regardless. I've seen well, teams right, come up but, horrible but, seasons and raise their ticket prices. Right. I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But, but – any 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 fan that isn't your diehard avid fan that's saying I'm going regardless of what the price is, that you might might turn their tickets in is what I'm saying. Right. I think, but so, I think I mean, a lot I, of those fans aren't going to see the home team. You know what I mean? You're saying they're going to just see the they're game. They're going for the spectacle. Yeah, they're going they're, for. <clears throat> they're going to see LeBron come to town. They're right. going to see <laughs> right. all the other teams come in. I'm saying so they're buying NBA ticket is what you're saying. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm saying there has been, unless my research is wrong, there's been Which no team. Which wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> there's been no team in this league that hasn't had to spend a little money to have a little success. You know, I mean, right? You're not getting, you're not going to be a successful NBA franchise spending the bare minimum. Well, there's the one. Bones. Well, there's one that's done a pretty good job spending not that much. Everybody says that, Lang. But the Spurs but spend to take care of their they stars. They spend, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying they don't they don't spend like the Knicks with Isaiah. Right, right. You know what I mean? But they they don't... do spend the money necessary. Like Tim Duncan, right. Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, their guys. You know, they get paid they get paid accordingly to their to their star status. But at first they didn't. At first they came in and they built it, paying those guys. You know, the the whatever their prorated rookie deals, whatever. All those guys came in and got paid, not a lot. But then when they became free agents, they took care of them, right? And that's the way I'm, – I'm just saying that's the way it's supposed to work, you know. Right. And every other team now is trying to do that. But it's hard to find Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili in the bottom of the draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to get lucky as well. But go back yes. – go run back through that list of names of guys who are going to be up in 2015. I, they sound – it sounds good now, but that's a couple years away. I'm not sure if I I'm – I'm not passing out max money to dudes who are in their mid-30s. Yeah. By then, you know what I mean? I – uh-uh. Would you pass out Max money to Kyrie Irving or Ricky Rubio? I pass it Rubio. out to Kyrie without without hesitation. Yeah. Right. You know, barring injury, Kyrie is going to be arguably the best point guard in the game. You know, in the next yeah. five years. Yeah. You know, so. I don't. You know, Rubio is a great talent. I don't know if he's going to end up being a great player or not. I hope he does. Hope he stays healthy enough to to reach that potential. And Rick, like I said, all, all I meant was. Fans, I think, in this day and age have gotten used to this idea of, you know, fantasy basketball allows you to look at the numbers and start deciding, well, this dude deserves that and this dude doesn't deserve that. It's like, man, all I deserve as a fan is to make sure my team is doing whatever it takes within the rules to try and be as good as they can be. And if that means spending a lot of money, great. If that means cutting corners and being super shrewd and and outsmarting everybody else in player, you know, development and all that stuff, great. I'm just saying – I'm less concerned about the franchise 
whatever franchise it might be, exhausting their resources than I am with them making sure they got a, a winning product on the floor. Right. And, and a lot of franchises, in the name of, hey, we're trying to be fiscally responsible so we can be good in the coming years, well, as a fan, that don't do me no good next week when I'm trying to take right. the, take the kids to the game. And we and we watching the hometown team get smoked, you know what I mean? Well, well to Lang's argument, though, he's saying you're, you're, you're buying a ticket to see the visiting team just as much as your home team. I, I don't know that I necessarily want to do that in every town, though. Right. <laughs> go to a Hawks game, no. you know. <laughs> go, right. Look at the crowd in Atlanta at the game. Yeah, I mean, go to Charlotte, go to some of these places. Even there, teams that have been good teams but struggle to attract hometown fans, the Hawks being one. Right. And there's this notion that if they get the right star here, everything will be okay and it'll all turn around. I'm not so sure. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm not so sure that it's that easy. Um, right. You know, the trade deadline is a tricky thing. And I hear franchises and so-called know-it-alls. You know, here in Atlanta, I, I keep reading now all of a sudden that Danny Ferry, the general manager, new general manager, well, he's got to clean up this mess that other people made. And this and the other. I'm like, he didn't inherit a lottery team. He inherited a team that's been in the playoffs, what, five straight years? Yeah. Six straight seasons, whatever it is. I mean, he he's he inherited a team that needed to be polished and, and maybe moved, you know, remodeled, but not a teardown. He didn't inherit a teardown. Right. right. Um, they got tons of cap space. They got to make some shrewd decisions. You make shrewd decisions, Rick Lang, in, in – in a front office job in this league. The aggressive front office people have always been the ones who have reaped the most success. I don't think that's ch- I don't think it's going to change. I, I think, you know, you make some hard choices. If Josh Smith is not a part of your future, then you move him in and find somebody that is. But you don't sit around crying about it and whining about it. This is the way we're going to run a team when the three of us are uh... – <laughs> our, our board meetings will last three hours because we'll be in an argument. <laughs> And then we'll send Rick out to put a nice then, face on everything. Exactly. Rick has to go out and explain it to the fans. Like, you know. <laughs> we're trading Kobe Bryant and, you know, right now because. And we're putting up the statue of Dwight Howard. Because putting, <laughs> yeah, because Dwight, we have, we have no room for Kobe's statue anymore. Well, you know, and this is the thing that I always think about at, at trade deadline time is, are you going to fix the mistakes that have been made, like even the ones you may have made as a general manager? Are you going to try and. Just rub some, you know, like you're going you're gonna to pour cologne on it and hope it smells good. Um, because I think about the Hawks and when I was covering them, and they made draft mistakes. And I, I, tell, I told somebody today in the hallway at shoot-around, it's stunning to me that the Hawks in 2013 are still trying to fix the mistakes they made in drafts in like 2005, 2006, 2000. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't take Chris Paul or Darren Williams in 05. They took Marvin Williams instead. They, they've been paying for that poor choice for years, you know, because the Josh Smith that the fans complain about now might not be the same Josh Smith had in his second year. Uh, Chris yeah, Paul right. or Darren Williams showed up. Yeah. And you have a young core of, you know, I mean, it's you have those are mistakes that come back to haunt you time and again. Um, you know, the Washington Wizards. Everybody, you look at them and you go, man, they just want to say the other. Well, they're paying for the mistake of taking Kwame Brown with the first overall pick years ago mm-hmm. because you set, your, you set your organization back when you make a big mistake like that and you don't fix it immediately. One guy, I'll never forget this, the year Joe Dumars took Mateen Cleaves in the first round. 
And I think it took yeah. him, I think it took him eight months to recognize. So you know what? Not even eight months. Maybe the first. You know, they drafted him in June. By December, they had decided. You know what? Dang. You know, maybe Mateen is not the point guard of the future we thought. And they, you know, in Detroit, minutes from his hometown of Flint, uh, hop skipping a stone up the highway from Michigan State, where he was a star and an All American, won that championship, and they moved him. Which, sentimentally, with the fans, that wasn't a popular thing to do. You know, the Michigan State crowd and the people who had watched him grow up, they're like, what do you mean? The hometown team takes him and then they trade him. But obviously it was the right move for the Pistons because Mateen turned out not to be the a, a franchise-type point guard. What about in 2003 when they took Darko Milicic, it's, number two? Well, exactly. And it's a perfect yeah. example. You, you know, they made that mistake. And it worked out in the short term because they end up getting Rasheed. And, you know, and Darko got buried further and further on that, you know, on that rotation. But that was a mistake that you have to you have to automatically fix that mistake. But I'll tell you this, that that Darko mistake is the one that has the Pistons in the state they're in right now. Exactly. When, yeah. when their team got older, when that core of Chauncey and Ben Wallace got older, they didn't have a young guy to, to make help bridge that gap to the next generation of whatever they were going to be. Right. And I'm telling when you, you, when you, when you talk about mistakes, do, do you, you hear Mitch Kupchak say Dwight is untradeable. Mm-hmm. Is that, a, is that a mistake? It could be. I mean, we'll find out in the next, you know, few uh, you seasons. Know, I don't know. The, dif- the difference is, is right now, at least what, what Mitch Kupchak is, that's just words. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's playing. It's just things that are coming out of his mouth and going yeah. into the air. You yeah. know, if if he now if he turns around and and actually you know turns down a trade for Dwight like of a bunch of first round picks or whatever, they that then it becomes something that's happened. But I think right now it's just kind of posturing to me. Yeah. I mean, I Rick, I don't like. I just don't like it when the futures game in the NBA scares me to death. When you know, oh, we got we're trying to get all this cap space and we're getting. We're getting all this flexibility. To do what? You know, how how many times do you get cap space and it blows up in your face? Yeah. It happens all the time. I mean, remember when Cleveland was getting all that cap space to go out and find the, this dude that was going to play with LeBron and they were going to be the yeah. core right. of the future? And it, remember Larry sure. Hughes? Larry Hughes. You know, and I'm not, I'm not and knocking Larry Hughes, but. You remember who it was who signed him? Oh, I know exactly who it was. Oh, um, <laughs> Danny Ferry. That's Atlanta what I'm Hawks saying. That's why I'm saying I don't feel as these people who are like, oh, we got all this cap space, we'll get it right. Well, you better be careful. Hist- history yeah. is a history is a great indicator that you don't always get. Just having deep pockets does not mean you get the player you a either want or b need to help you get to the next level. Well, I think ago. certain cities, though, certain cities can yeah. you know, have a leverage with cap space. Sure, because players want to go there, and they regardless. have like incredible TV deals or other and yeah. other owners have ancillary incomes or whatever. But well, the city yeah. itself has has an appeal. Like yeah. LA has a Hollywood Hollywood appeal. Miami yeah. but has a, but, but there's a, other teams a, that that the, that are running on the you know on a dime, and they have to they have to be able to get they, it right. They, they can't afford to make a mistake. <laughs> Literally, can't afford to make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. You make them. You make a mistake in Detroit in a draft that at the time doesn't seem that bad because you got a, a veteran team that's on its way to being a dominant force for, you know, for five or six years going, what, six straight Eastern Conference Finals. 
So you don't recognize the poor choice of taking Darko instead of either Bosch, Wade, Carmelo. You don't even recognize that at the time. And if you do, you say, well, it won't matter. We'll fix it in three or four or five years. Sometimes you don't get a chance to fix it is all I'm saying. I, but even at the time, there, you know, the, the, the talk was they didn't take Carmelo because they had Tayshawn Prince. You remember? That was the I remember, like, yes. Absolutely. Well, we have, and I was like, well, it's, it's not like they have LeBron. I mean, it's not like they have Michael Jordan at the at the three or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like Carmelo couldn't figure out a way to play with Tayshawn Prince or Tayshawn couldn't figure out a way to play with Carmelo. But uh, It was a colossal yeah. mistake in, in judgment in terms of you, you know how it works. You get to draft time and player X is the is the second coming of whatever. And it turns out he's not, you know. Yeah. So these things happen, you know. I mean, trade deadline to me. There's Rick and Lane. There's three times a year that a front office has to clean up mistakes and get it right. Draft night, trade deadline, and July first when free agency kicks off. Those those only three times you have a chance to get it right. So we'll see who gets it right by Thursday at three o'clock. I like it that two weeks ago, Rick went in on Dwight Howard, and this week, Seku went in on cap space. (laughs) Guys, while I was in Houston, while we were all in Houston hanging out, I had a chance to sit down and speak with a true NBA legend, the Lord of the Rings himself, 11-time NBA champion, Bill Russell. Check out a little bit of uh, our conversation here. What's the most common question you get from today's players when they come up and talk to you and spend time with you? Is anybody really that old? (laughs) (laughs) I like and respect the guys that are playing now at all-star games. Uh, I watch sometimes three games in a single night, you know, in the NBA package. And, uh, what I like is I watch to see what their agenda is and how well they carry, carry it out. That's the only way you can enjoy the games. There's a lot of accomplished players that's playing now. I think more than ever. And just to get a chance to watch them is a joy. Do you think the the skill skill level is it what makes them so accomplished? I mean, has it come that far over the years? Just the the amount of size say, and skill. When you talk about skill levels, you can't say the way they played in the fifties or the sixties. Skill level is how the game is played today. There are different fundamentals. You see, when I played, there was never a three point shot. Okay, going to the hoop and ducking this commonplace now. It was not commonplace then. And so uh, to play according to the rules today, the skill level is up there. It's just that if, if well, someone wants the skill level to be according to the game played 50 years ago, they're a silly person. If you take the time to understand the rules, the skill level is there. When you look at the evolution of some of the positions now, the traditional big man has has been a you know in the crosshairs over the years in terms of people say it's position that's really changed with the stretch fours and these guys that face up and shoot the ball don't play on the low block. When you compare players, 
you never get to a place where you ask the player to play against a ghost, past, present, or future. You can only play against the people that show up when you play it. And so how do you dominate that era? That's the only thing you can say. If you talk about scoring, you can't get past Will Chamberlain. So what they do nowadays, they ignore what Will Chamberlain did. You know, don't even bring it up. The fact that one season he averaged 50 points a game, his average. And so now you talk about guys scoring 30 points or 35 points. And that's a long way from his average. Or you talk about uh, assists. Oscar averaged a triple-double. And now they talk about a double-double. Okay. So what you're doing is you're choosing which stats you want to emphasize and make that the most important. The people that decide that really don't know what's going on. You talk about rebounding. Wilt averaged 22.9 rebounds for 14 years. Now, he averaged 20, almost 23, if you round it off, for 14 seasons. And now the leading rebounder may have 12, 14. I know, for example, Wilt and I both had over 20,000 rebounds. That's 20,000 one at a time. And so uh, if you're going to start talking about numbers, that's got nothing to do with anything. What it has to do with how do you dominate your contemporaries in the game that is the game while do you play it? People that say, well, look at the numbers, that means they don't know what they're looking at. When you look at uh, these, these current players, you, you say you watch sometimes up to three games a night. Who is the most dominant player you see now in the game in terms of the things you're talking about? Not the numbers, but impact on the game. Well, of course, you, at this point, you start with uh, LeBron James coming off a championship year. I think that the way Kevin Durant gets his points is a big help because he's not always the first option. Before he got hurt, I thought Derrick Rose was a really important player. I like to watch all these guys and see what they're doing and I see how it impacts their team play. When you take a, a hard look at the players off the court nowadays in terms of what they deal with compared to what the situation was, not, not in basketball, but off the court as professional athletes, is it, how drastic... Do you think that difference is compared to what you and your contemporaries had to deal with during your playing days? I have a lot of respect for the guys that are playing now because I look at the world they inherited. To hold them to what happened when I was a young guy and what's happening now, that is totally unfair because the world has changed. changed completely in a lot of different ways. And so to say, well, if those guys did this to make a way for you, hey, the second or third generation... You can't hold them to standards that are obsolete. All you can hope is that they will build on what went on before them and not just relax with it, because if you relax with it, it'll go away. The Boston Celtics are a team I know that are near and dear to your heart. When you see the, the transition they're going through right now, 
with yeah. Kevin Garnett, you know, at, at this stage of his career. What do you think of that team and where their where their future lies? I think it's too early to tell. You know, uh, one of the keys to winning is how the team plays together, and sometimes that takes a lot of time. How do you know when you have a team that's capable of winning a championship? You hear a lot of people talk about it, but when, as a player, when do you know? you have that sort of team that's capable of reaching those heights? You have to take it with it for at least a year to find out what you have and what you need. Now, what you need a lot of times is already there. But how do you get the best out of what you have? So you have teams that are always looking to get somebody else's players. Red used to have a theory. There's a trade offered him. My last year. And I says, you didn't make that deal? He said, nope. I said, why not? He says, getting a better player does not always make you a better team. Last question. Player, coach, GM, which one of those do you think is the toughest job in basketball? Player. Because no matter what the coach or the GM says or does, there's still competition between players. Guys, joining us right now, good friend of the program. Got a little, uh, you know, HOF attached to his name these days. Steve Smith, NBA TV's very own, hanging out with us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Smitty, what's happening? I'm doing good. How you guys doing? We're good, man. We are uh, trying to... Rebound from All-Star Weekend and roll right into the trade deadline. Um, what's your one memorable trade deadline uh, in you know in history that you can remember in terms of something that happened, a, a teammate getting pulled off a, off a flight? Or, I mean, do, do you ever? Oh, hey, that, that's me, Sekou. <laughs> uh, the scenario, playing for the Miami Heat. We played the Phoenix Suns. We're on the runway. We're taxing. We're about to take off. The, the plane starts to slow down, and we're thinking something wrong with the plane. Uh, general manager and coach, they called me and Grant Long up to the front and says, uh, you guys have been traded to Atlanta. I mean, for and we were on the last game of a West Coast trip, so it wasn't wow. a trade deadline. But we, uh, it was the last game, so it was, I think, game five. Mm-hmm. And we are pulled off the plane. Our bags were underneath we had to go under the belly, you know, with the guys from the airport, find our wow. bag. And the plane just took off, you know. <laughs> Me and Grant Long looking at it like, wow, we've been traded. But the, the craziest thing is the very next day, we, we're in Atlanta because Atlanta plays Phoenix the very next day. So we get a standing ovation because we just got to finish playing Phoenix. So <laughs> what was hard about it is, you know, you leave home, yeah. you know, your car's at the airport. Your keys were with you because that's what you do. You keep your keys with you. And now we're saying, who's going to get our car? Are we ever going to get back to Miami? Because we're just traded. So right. then you have to have family members and friends to go down and pack up everything. So yeah. it's a difficult business when you start talking about the business of basketball, but that's what we sign up for. Smitty, hey, it's Lang. We're talking about when guys get traded like that during a season and Obviously, the teams are looking for, for some help. How long does it take you from a basketball standpoint to, to pick up what, what your new team, your new teammates are doing? Is, it, is, is the last 30 games of a season enough to make a big difference? 
Well, you know, there are some guys you kind of know if you've been in the league, you know, it's a little easier, Lang. But you said right. it right. Just the different nuances where guys like the basketball, you know, picking up the plays, it's, it's fairly easy. But it's not easy when you start talking about, hey, they took away that option. What's the counter? You know, and guys are like, hey, they took away the option. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. We just learned the first option. Now you're trying to get me to go to the second, third, and fourth option. And even though if you know it, it just doesn't come naturally. Um, there's different sounds you make in the NBA. We uh-huh. have a connection with a guy. I'm not, I don't have to call, say, laying your name and say, cool, we just know each other's voice. But you don't know that with all your teammates. So it takes a little bit of time. You know, everybody thinks it's just basketball. But to be on that same page, it, it, it takes some time. Yeah. Smitty, I'm, Smitty, I'm confused. Um, I'm still here sitting courtside at Toyota Center. You told me you were just going back to get your bag. <laughs> Are you back home now? <laughs> Hey, hey, Rick, I went from Houston to Michigan, back here to work yesterday, back out to Chicago today. Oh, my God. Well, that was a pretty, that was a, that was an interesting all-star weekend. What was your takeaway uh, from it? You know, Rick, I, I look at it, you know, I thought the game was pretty interesting. You know, a game I thought was uh, pretty good. I think all-star Saturday, you know, I enjoyed the three-point contest, the skills contest, the shooting stars. Even the dunk contest, to a point. I think the dunk contest, some some minor tweaks have to be made. We can't allow this yeah. guy to run back and take 75 runs all the way from mid-court, <laughs> half-court. Name names, Smitty. Name names. Name names, brother. All of them. Everybody who kept missing. Everybody <laughs> from uh, James White to Gerald Green. We took the Mets off for him. He went to get that dunk, I don't know, 100 times. And it's impressive none of the dunks I could do so I was impressed by the attempts but I think fans sitting there watching that has to be somewhat of a penalty after two or three dunks you can't do it you got to go do something else or you're penalized Right. Yeah, hey, uh, Smitty. How about like remember... go do something else, like sit down? <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody on Twitter said that the three point contest had a better shooting percentage than the dunk contest. We, <laughs> 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 you know, the whole a lot of the talk this weekend was about Michael Jordan turning fifty, and um, you're someone, Smitty, who's kind of been connected to MJ throughout your career. You were on the cover of Sports Illustrated once for defending him. Um, I've heard you tell some stories about playing against him. What, what's your f- your favorite Michael Jordan story? Well, you know, there's not a lot of favorites because he beat me a lot. <laughs> but I, I would say, you know, and Rick is right there with me. Fox, we came in an era where, unfortunately, we caught Mike at his peak, at his prime. <laughs> I mean, just one of those players. And Rick, you know, you know, knowing you know from the bases of North Carolina a little bit better than me, I know him from just competing at that two guard spot. I mean, the ultimate competitor. I think um, also Kenny Smith said it best a superstar with superstar fundamentals games. When you look at Michael Jordan, it, you know, the craziest thing is, you know, I knew what he was going what, what was happening on the court. I knew which spots he wanted to get to. It wasn't fancy. It was two dribbles here, or it was beat you to the bucket, or it was a shimmy, shimmy fadeaway. <laughs> you just couldn't stop it. I mean, there were times I'm watching film, and I'm going, well, he goes over his left shoulder. I'll try to get there. But he jumped so high, you're never there to affect the shot. Uh, he ran with the basketball as far as his speed. And I think the one that gave me the most problems was staying connected with him, and then he could just stop on a dime. I mean, right. I mean, stop and go up quicker than anybody I've ever played against as far as getting to his jump shot, off the move at, I would say, 100 miles per hour, then being able to decelerate, and then go up in the air 100 miles per hour up in the air, and, and there was nothing you could do. 
Right. And, and, and defensively, he got after it. I mean, he played defense just like he was playing his offense. So I think one of the best two-way players I've ever played against. And what he did for the game, for all of us. You know, Magic and Bird, I think, saved the league. But I think Michael took it to where we can start saying, you know, I, I call Michael the guy who made this league global mm-hmm. as far as marketing, gave all of us a chance to get extra dollars in our pocket. Right. Yeah, I, I tell you, my favorite Michael Jordan moment was coming out the the, the locker room on the road and seeing him in a wizard outfit, wizard <laughs> uniform, that was my favorite. And on one, and him on one leg at that time. You try to get him. You try to get him for thirty. Oh, I tried to go at him. <laughs> oh, and I had a little success too. But I was like, Mike, I'm gonna get. I have no empathy right now for you. <laughs> you know, what's bad for me, Rick Lang, who was. We will win 55 games in Atlanta, 51, 52. Yeah. They went 72, and people be like. Or oh, the Hawks, uh, you know, they got to break them. I'm like, we're winning 55 <laughs> games. <laughs> 55 games. Just because they won in 72, it's hard to win 55 games. Yeah. I could go out and get 25 or 30. He had 50. <laughs> Smitty just doesn't measure up to Michael Jordan. I'm like, I got 30. That's what made Michael Jordan who he is. I think also we gave us a measuring stick. For all of us that played in that era. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one thing. Listen, Smitty, Michael Jordan has done a lot of things in his career. But he will never do what you did Monday. Getting inducted into the Michigan Sports Hall of Fame, baby. When when will Michael Jordan do that? Well, he can't do that because exactly. he's, from, he's not from the state of Michigan. But, I wasn't uh, going to tell nobody that part. <laughs> I appreciate it, Sekou. You know, growing up in the city of Detroit, the state of Michigan, then getting a chance to play in that state, uh, to be inducted in the state, uh, the Hall of Fame of the state of Michigan was just unreal. Yeah. You know, being able to be inducted in the Michigan State Hall of Fame University was great. But the class I went into, I mean, I think when you start off, the first person that I was in awe of was Tony Dungy. Mm-hmm. You know, just to talk about. We know everything Tony Dungy has done on the field. Right. But the man, Tony Dungy, we got a chance to spend some time with him. Um, going in with my little brother, Mateen Cleese. Right. You know, he was so excited just to have him going in. And then Tom Mizzo, he had a huge game against Indiana. Right. He took two hours out of his time, said so he drove down, said hi to us, gave us a hug, and turned around and went all the way back up to East Lansing. So that meant a lot to me. Yeah. I uh, went in also with Pam McGee. You know, Pam and Paul McGee from Flint, Michigan. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up watching them. They won two state championships in basketball, two state championships in volleyball, <laughs> two state championships in track. Right. 78 and old. They went to USC with Cheryl. They didn't lose a game. And then also Tyrone Wheatley, Lomas Brown, Dick Kimball, uh, Mark Howe. It was just an unbelievable class. And ironically, you know, it was held at the Max Fisher Music Center on Woodward Avenue. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the street where – it got me emotional. That's my dad drove the bus for 37 years, and that was wow. throughout Woodward Avenue. So mm. I had been, you know, past that music center for numerous years, and then to get a chance to get inducted into the state of Hall, state of state of Michigan Hall of Fame with my dad being there it was special. Oh man, that's that's great. I mean, I obviously congratulations to you, um, and being from Michigan, being on the wrong end of Steve Smith at his best when he's at Michigan State as a Michigan fan was painful. <laughs> but I, you know, but I think everybody tips their hat to anybody who can achieve the things you've achieved, man. That's we're happy for you. It's fabulous. And uh, again, you, you talk about that moment being in there with that class. You're part of that class, Mitty. 
You, I mean, you're a humble guy, but you're going to have to start ex- accepting that you're right up there with these people, man, and, that, and we're proud of you. I appreciate it, Sekou. You know, it, it's something you never thought, you know. And yeah. I, can't, I wouldn't say, you know, humble on, the per- uh, on purpose. I think it's just humble when you start talking about all of us, you know, yeah. what we're doing right now. You know, w- did you ever think we'd be in this position when you're little, somebody right. calling your name, we're doing <laughs> TV, we're, doing, we're writing, you guys are doing your podcast. And somebody is paying us to do all this. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. You guys get you guys get paid to do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold on, man. Smitty, talk to me. What's, talk to me, Smitty. There's people making money. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> and now, Smitty, y'all, y'all are gonna play golf as well, right? Now, the PGA African American Professionals in Golf Clinic is for Black History Month is uh, coming up as well, right? And that's that's another thing. I'm pinching myself. They're yeah. asking me, which is. You know, right up my alley to get a chance to talk to kids about Black History Month. But mm-hmm. then, you know, the big wigs, the PGA, asked me to play golf. And I said, whoa, now that's <laughs> what I'm not that good at, you know, as far as playing golf. But, you know, just to get that opportunity to play a Bears club. But first and foremost, to talk about, you know, the game of golf for us as African-American. You know, mm-hmm. uh, another touchy story for me, I'll be real quick. I used to caddy when I was young. I caddy for Calvin Pete, mm-hmm. you know, oh. trying to make extra money. And Calvin Pete, being from Detroit, always used to say, do you want to play golf? You know, I was at the age of 14, 15. I just wanted that 20 bucks so I can hurry up and get out of there. <laughs> you need to take up the game, you know, and I thank him for just opening my eyes to something different. You yeah. know, you know, Calvin Pete, one of the first African-American histories, you know, African-Americans in the history of golf that kind of put golf on the map for a lot of us African-Americans. That's, that's something, man. I, you know. And all of this is, is great news because it, it kind of made us forget that painful loss that I know you and the rest of the Spartan Nation suffered at the hands of Indiana. That was a tough one to lose. Great game. You know, uh, great great game. game. I mean, you know, it, it was touchy for me because, you know, obviously we were from Michigan State, but Tom Crane at right. Indiana was my assistant coach. So mm-hmm. if I had to lose anybody, you know, it was it's tough for a Spartan to lose. But I will tell Lang and Rick, you dodged me all All-Star weekend because you didn't <laughs> want to hear about that Michigan <laughs> Trounce that we put on. When we I sure didn't. I, did, I didn't want to have to hear your mouth after that one. I said, boy, they go, Smitty, let me go the other direction because I know he's going to give me the <laughs> Hey, Rick, you know, you played in North Carolina. Did you ever beat anybody so bad where they put in three walk-ons that didn't have names on their <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We were to on that side of it. It was probably Michigan, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. It, it turned sour in here real fast, Lang. You see that? You see how they turned me? They turned the temperature down on me like that, boy. Smitty, now, before we let you get out of here, and we know you're on a tight schedule. We, we hate we hated we had to keep you this long, but we, we can't let you go without. Trade deadline comes and goes. Who's the team that stands to gain the most by making a big move by the 3 p.m. trade deadline on uh, Thursday? Well, I think any team that's in that playoff hunt, whatever position you're in, and you add a player, you don't have to give up that much. I think you, you definitely gain because you're in that last push. If you can gain a player that can get you over the hump or get you to the next round, if there's a team that's, you know, the capability of getting to the second round and they add a player to get them to the conference finals, mm-hmm. the team that's in the conference finals or get them to the championship and maybe over the hump to win the big, I think they gain the most. I think uh, the one player, as you know, Seku, we've been around him, yeah. If Josh Smith is traded, you know, I, I think they're getting a player that if, you know, you bring him in, you start talking about a guy that can do a lot for you, 
you know, here in Atlanta, I think it's run its course. I think yeah. it's time for both to, to, to have a divorce uh, because yeah. the kid comes out and plays extremely hard. People say he's not worth the max. I never get into the money. You know, he comes out and he plays extremely hard. He's the only guy in the NBA with career averages of 15, I think, eight, uh, five assists, two blocks and a steal. Yeah. Which uh, he, came, he comes out and plays extremely hard. Uh, and I think if you, he's a second, a third option on a team that's trying to get a for a championship, they'll be real happy with Josh Smith. Yeah. No, no question about it. Anytime, Smitty, and I always tell people, anytime you can get to a category, a statistical category in the NBA where it's you and nobody else, you must be doing, and it's not a negative, like you're not the all-time turnovers leader or something. <laughs> you're doing something right. You're doing something you know. right. I mean, you know, he hasn't made an all-star team, but I would say, you know, that was to Josh. Him, Al Horford, and Larry Drew, that's kind of their foundation. Yeah. I'd have never thought they'd be in the playoffs after what they dismounted the team, getting rid of Joe Johnson. So yeah. hats off to those guys of having a hard steal in contention of making the playoffs. No question, man. Well, listen, man, uh, tell the boys we said hello. Tell Braden and David Smith that uh, they need to be extremely proud of their dad and all the stuff he's done, man. And thanks for hanging with us. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All right, Smitty. All right, Smitty. Thanks. You know what? That's that's another guy. He brought up some good points, man. 37 years his dad drove that bus down Woodward Avenue in Detroit, famous street in Detroit for, for guys like Smitty and myself who know that city and that state well. I'd have never – I mean, you know, I watched Smitty play when I was in high school, and he was, you know, he was ahead of me in high school. And uh, he was at Pershing. And they had a great team, but you know, you don't, you never know who's going to make it to the next level. And, right. and Rick, I'm sure you know people who, you know, probably still scratching their head, going, "Little Rick made it to the NBA and won." Ch-. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's just stunning, man. The journey people go on once it, you know, once you hit a certain point and keep rising. You know, right? I mean, it's it's staggering. A lot of a lot. Yeah, he just you, he, you know, you mentioned humility. Yeah, and Steve uh, as a competitor, never lost that fire, but yet the sportsmanship and, the te- and his ability to be a great teammate, not yeah. a good teammate, yeah. and, 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 a, and a great brother amongst other brothers in the league. <laughs> right. I, I, don't, I can't think of anyone more, more uh, worthy of, of, of the success he's had, and, and yet the admiration from his peers that he gets than Steve. I mean, that's... Yeah. And getting to know him now, working with him, it's just ever more clear to me that, that I would have loved to have played with him. Yeah. And I know He's a lot of people that did get the chance to play with him speak glowingly of, of him as a, as a man, let alone a basketball yeah. player. Right. He's one of those guys that, you know, he, he won that ring in 2003 with the Spurs. And I think a lot of people um, around the league were kind of, you know, they might not be a Spurs fan, but they were kind of happy to see Steve Smith get a ring. Right. Which is kind of neat. That's yeah. one of those dudes, man. I, t- I always tell him, I joke with him all the time. Outside of my blood relatives who have attended Michigan State uh, against my my uh, warnings, he's the only Spartan on the planet that I actually like. The rest of them, you know, <laughs> and I'll run the, I, I could run down the list, but they'll, they'll all be getting on my case since they blew us out the last time we saw them, so I won't do it, but. I mean, and when it for me, like when Smitty was talking about playing on that Hawks team, I, I was a kid in college cheering for that Hawks team. I was, I remember when he got traded to the, the Hawks. I the was excited. Fifty-five wins Hawks, yes. who, who who could never measure up to Jordan's Bulls, huh? Mookie Blaylock, uh, Smitty, Dikembe, um, all those <laughs> teams. If they, man. if they were talking, and if they were talking about breaking up that that 
Hawks team that won 55 games. Yes. Anything they were talking about on that Celtics team, I was wondering. <laughs> <laughs> we only won like 15. Shove <laughs> them into the, the ocean. Period. <laughs> Slide them off into the bay. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, but you know what? We still live in that same realm, Rick, when you think about it. There are teams that are willing to, you know, to to trade away guys who have led them to the playoffs in the name of, hey, we got to measure up to the Heat or, you know, the, the Spurs Hawks, or the whoever. Hawks, the Hawks right now, yeah. we talked about it a minute ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the same to, thing. Yeah, you go to playoffs five straight years, but you know what? It just ain't good enough. What do you, what do you expect? Right. You know, what do you expect? Uh, so, there it is, folks. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. I want a recount on bragging rights this week. Look at this. Wow. I'm coming. I was just saying, this I'm must coming. be wrong. I'm, not even, I'm tiptoeing, but how, I'm coming. How's Rick? And, you, and, and Lang is coming, too, so yeah, I mean, it's going to be real crowded in a minute. I'll be, I'll be right back. i got to go shave. <laughs> He finally got back to 500 on Brad. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did Rick get this? Cl- How did he start breathing down my neck like this? 25 and 21 for Rick Fox. 26 and 20 for the Kang. And Lang is at 23 and 23. What, the- what happened the last few weeks? You haven't been very good. I, I just, I, just <laughs> I, I decided to, I, to take the grace and the governor off the machine here. <laughs> I tried to grace, I tried to gracefully join the crew and respectfully not jump out all in front and gangster the league. This and is... now I'm just I'm doing I'm Kyrie Irving. I'm Kyrie Irving right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to take the league by storm after I've been you know quietly showed you I I'm here to be reckoned with, that's all. Do we have a bleep button around here? Because you don't have to bleep what I'm gonna say here in the next couple of minutes. This is some <laughs> Do we have... <laughs> We got a seven-second delay on the podcast. I mean, I I got to get it together. Let's go, Greg. Give us give us some picks this week. I got to get right. All right. Uh, first game of the week is Thursday night's game: Miami versus Chicago. Oh, mm. Miami, Miami versus Chicago. I got Miami. I'll take Miami. I'll take Miami. Where at? In in, in Chicago? Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah, they got they leaving Atlanta and going to Chicago. I was at the shooting around today, as a matter of fact. And it's cold. They, you know, I talked to a couple of people on the with the Heat crew, and they go like, "Man, it's cold." Well, you know, we got a one day in Chicago. They better huh. they better go up there and handle business. I'm taking the Heat, but they better handle business. I'm trying to get right here. Wow. You know what? Um. Wow, he just played well. Man. I don't hear he a coin. Really I, well. I don't hear a coin. I, I don't hear a coin. What's the uh, problem? I'm going to go because I no, you know, I'm going to eat because Chicago doesn't play well at home. All right. They, don't, they play better on the road. So everybody's taking the heat. Everybody's taking yeah. the heat. All, All right. right. Second game, San Antonio at Golden State. Mm. What day is that? San Antonio I want to check. I want to check the splits and see how well Tony Parker hey, plays on that, whatever day of the week it is. The uh, <laughs> game is Friday night, mm-hmm. and, and, and the Spurs Antonio play the, the Spurs play at the Clippers the night before. Oh, so Pop might be messing with my, you know, he might be messing with my mojo here. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm ready here. I'll take the Spurs. Lang is on his game today, by the way. You know what the Spurs record is? They're forty-three and twelve. Hey, man, you don't have to look. I mean, good grief. We're trying to get it right here, you know. Hold on. Let me check my – let me consult my magic computer here. NBA.com stats, baby. 
Check it out. I, this is my new favorite tool, by the way. It's the new advanced stats tool on NBA.com. I just want everybody to go ahead. and. Well, I don't want you two clowns to use it, but I, everybody else, go out there and mess with it if you need some help figuring some of this stuff out. Let me see what's... The, the tool found the tool. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see what's going on here. Let's see what TP's numbers look like on Saturdays. Talk to it's me. A, look, look, see what his numbers are on Saturday. I'm serious. I want to know how well he I wanna, plays I on do Saturdays. Too. I, that I do, might, too, because that game's on a Friday. Oh, the game's on Friday. Okay, let me see what his number looks like on Friday. Is this still San Antonio? Uh, yeah, San Antonio Golden State. Oh, he balls on Fridays. Okay. I'm picking Tony Parker under Spurs. He balls on Fridays. Shooting 57% yeah. from the floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 7.7 assists, 24.4 points. I'm going San Antonio, too. What'd you do, Lang? I picked San Antonio. Before. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, so we're, everyone's picking the same here. That's because they're trying to, you know. Well, they, well, we're, we're, it's, they're easy games. you got to pick some, some middle-of-the-road games where <laughs> skill come, skill come into play. It's true. The last time and you, really, you really see me pull away. I thought everybody was going to come through the window. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Last game, Lakers Ugh. versus Denver. Denver at home. Mm. Denver. I'm going with the Nuggets. Denver. Nuggets. Yeah, I'm going to Nuggets. I'll take the Lakers just to be different. <laughs> you don't have to try. You don't Man, have to you pick know, that you, game you know to be you different. Just your, you know you just shaved your beard. Yeah, you don't need to make <laughs> wacky picks to be different, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you got that down without the the crazy picks. Uh before we get out of here, um, I got to give a big shout-out to, to both Rick and Lang. Good seeing these cats in Houston for All-Star. Rick, we, you know, we're not going to hold your first absence in a uh, hangtime podcast celebrity run against you. You know, we'll let you, we'll let you slide on this first absence. But next year in New Orleans, he, he got to be up and ready to go on Sunday morning, bro. Uh, all right, yeah. I, you know, I was, um... No excuses. Yeah, I, I thought I would hurt the team if I played hurt. <laughs> Unlike certain people in the league that just talk about being hurt and show up and then demand the ball, <laughs> I, I figured I would just just respect the efforts of our team and just stay on the sidelines. He, he, he does he does have a bum hip. Yeah, we'll, we gave him a DMP hip um, <laughs> for Sunday's game. His hip didn't look too sore when, when I talked to him after the game on Sunday night. And like, when he was dancing hey, at the rap party? No, no, we were just hey. standing there talking, and about 20 different women came up and asked to have their photos taken with him in that five let minutes. Me tell you, let me tell you something. I couldn't – I went to the TNT rap party. I couldn't bowl. I didn't I, – everyone wanted to bowl. I was like, I can't. I got a bad hip, man. You were like, we I saw got, what happened When I got final. back to the hotel, my lower back from standing for two days straight was not too happy with me. That's because I was in – I was in, you know – Boots and stress shoes and stuff. Well, yeah, on that I mean, hardwood floor. Yeah, I mean, tough, tough living. Now you show up, yeah. looking like two million dollars, and everybody, you know, got all the ladies <laughs> coming up to you. Tough life, you know, tough, tough life. Well, listen, let's first of all let's thank Steve Smith, NBA TV, coming on, hanging with us here on the podcast. Um, thank everybody who made it possible for us to hang out in Houston, and uh, you know, great time talking to Bill Russell in Houston. Um, a legend of the game, and, you know, there are very few interviews I do these days that make me feel like a little kid. You know, I mean, I've I've been doing this long enough where I don't get intimidated. But, man, when Bill Russell was talking, I was so scared. 
to interrupt him. Like, I, I'd let him talk until he was done before I'd try and ask another question. Because I was thinking, man, I don't want to interrupt this dude if, you know, old, you know, he right. might go off on me. If you reach out with that, he still got a bear paw for a hand. He might reach out and slap me. <laughs> so, appreciate him taking some time out to uh, answer some questions. Let me spend some quality time with Bill Russell, the Lord of the Rings, as I like to call him. Um, let me get a shout out to, to, uh, to uh, the crew, man, the crew that looked out for us as well. The Rodney, the producer. Oh yeah, no uh, doubt. They always Scooter, Tara, Olivia, Megan that hooked up all the transportation and scheduling. And yeah, they do. Who, else, who else was with us, man? All our, all our. Oh yeah, the co-workers. whole The whole Turner crew, man. They nobody they talk, does they it bigger. Leave for throwing the parties. That's right. Nobody does it bigger than Turner. I mean, when you talk about All Star Weekend, and I had my my wife and my sisters were down there. And my wife and one of my sisters have been before, but my other two sisters have never been. They like booking reservations to, for 2019. Now. They're like, we want to go to All-Star wherever it is every year from now. I mean, if you have an experienced NBA All-Star weekend, you must get to one just to see. Like Lang said, man, it's a convention for all the people who love the game and are interested in the game. You know, um, I'm going to put my wife on blast because right – we walked in the hotel, and I saw George Gervin on the elevator. So we get up to our floor and walk all the way down to our room, and he stops at the room right next to ours. <laughs> so I'm like, holy shnikes. I was like, we are staying next to George Gervin. You know, my wife's like, who's George Gervin? And I was like, I would call my dad right now so he could go slap off on you for not knowing who George Gervin is. But I remember you don't, you know, she's, she's not a basketball fan. But, you know right. what I mean, you get, to, you get to see these people, yeah. you know, the living legends of the game during All-Star Weekend multiple times. And yep. if you're a fan of the game and you have any love for the game, there's only one time a year where you get to experience that, and it's All-Star Weekend. My favorite moment like that was uh, on Friday. We did uh, the jump live from the jam session, and uh, when we finished the show, I walked outside and uh, kind of turned around. I was walking over to the arena, and I kind of turned the corner and just kind of standing off on a street corner by himself on his cell phone with Moses Malone just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great rockets of all time. Yeah, which I mean. It's pretty cool. It's just crazy. I, I thought you were going to say your favorite moment of the weekend was Friday night when you went groupie at the uh, <laughs> at Michael Jordan's birthday party and, like, I was got gonna say, and let R. Kelly throw sweat on you and all that I, stuff. I was going to say that, uh, you know, if – if we get to that 2019 All-Star game, maybe by then I'll get invited to the Turner parties because <laughs> my invite must have got lost this year. We will see you all next time on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. And be sure to check out the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And as always, say Kuna Matata.